Our scripture today comes from the book of Proverbs, chapter 12, verses 1 and 15, chapter 26, 11 and 12, and chapter 15, verses 10, 12, 31, and 32. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. There is severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. Whoever hates reproof will die. A scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. The year that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. This is the word of the Lord. Navigation, course corrections, and unteachability. That's the title for the message today. The overall kind of theme is just um, heeding correction, heeding the correction of God and um, our receptivity to that or our teachability. Oh, that would hurt. That was a pine cone. We should wear a helmet. Um, <laughs> all right, so um, we're going to talk a lot about and draw from imagery of like traveling and, and navigating today because uh, it's very relevant and actually the Bible uses that imagery as well. So let me start with this. Um, did you know that when we travel by airplane, um, the airplanes that are carrying us are actually off course almost all of the time? Pilots have thus this rule of thumb that they call the one in 60 rule. It states that if a plane is off course by even just one degree, one degree out of, you know, 360, so very small, for every 60 miles that it flies down that incorrect course, it'll end up missing its target by one mile. So let's say, for example, we fly from SFO to LAX, If your course is incorrect by a single degree, you could miss LAX and end up somewhere by Compton. Or on the other side, if you're on the other side, um, you could end up in in the Pacific Ocean. So that's just, you know, being on the incorrect course by just a single degree. It's absolutely necessary then for uh, these planes that are actually off course most of the time that we're in the air, they need to make dozens, sometimes even hundreds, depending on how long the flight is, corrections depending on, on you know, the wind and, and turbulence and storms if that plane wants to arrive safely at its intended destination. Along its way, it has to make all these little corrections. And so there are aids that help the pilot with these corrections, uh, computers, navigation instruments, uh, satellites, thing, things you know, that send up beacons on the, uh, beacon signals from the ground, obviously air traffic control, um, and more on that later. A similar principle applies when we drive a car, right? Or when we ride a bike. Um, so this is a little more familiar for most of us. When we drive, think about this. What does it look like when you drive? What are your hands, or what are they doing, right? We're constantly making little micro-corrections as we drive. Think about that. Even if the road is straight, nobody drives like this, right? Because if you did, even if you're going down a straight freeway, 
If you just drove straight and you didn't move the steering wheel a little bit like this, you just kept it still, you would eventually end up veering into somebody else's lane uh, and be a danger to others, to yourself, and cause maybe even, you know, death. In the Bible, God uses imagery of paths and ways and roads as metaphors to compare our lives, your life, to journeys and where your journey will eventually end. Sometimes, like these airplanes in the air, our lives will get off course. Maybe one degree, maybe a lot more. Who knows, right? It's different times, different seasons. And so, in those times, we need to find ourselves in a place where we're able to receive correction. We need a course correction. So this is a pretty helpful way to think of our lives, you know, because every day that passes, you can think of it as a little micro-correction in the course of your life. So if you think about it this way, a couple of big questions should arise, right? If you think about it. One is, what exactly, if, if we all have a destination, what exactly is the destination that I'm driving towards? What am I driving towards? Right? What, am, what, what is my goal? Where am I trying to get? Another question. Am I so wise in my own eyes that I won't be able to listen to correction from others or from, from the Bible? Or, right? And that's, for, that's, that's the question for believers, right? Will I or won't I listen to correction even if it's right there in the Word of God? We're on a course, we're on a journey, and we need to make little corrections every day or else we can end up in a dangerous, maybe even harmful place. So today's sermon is going to look at the book of Proverbs and its teachings about being receptive or unreceptive to correction, um, thinking maybe we're so wise in our own eyes, and so that prevents us from listening to other people, um, the difference between unteachable and teachable. So Proverbs 12.1, let's start there. This is a... Can we just read this? Is it is on the, there it is. Oh, the background is white with white font. I don't know if that's the case at home. If we could change that. If not, that's okay. But let's let's read that together. It's a short verse. Let's all read that together. Proverbs 12:1. Ready? Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. <laughs> there, there we go. Okay. Um, I couldn't help but laugh when I read this verse because here we have the Bible, the Holy Bible, right? And God, the Bible is God's word, and God is literally calling us stupid. It's, it's, it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of funny. I just thought it was, it was like, wow, God is not mincing words here. God don't lie. He is saying, if you hate to be corrected, we are stupid, I was kind of stunned by the bluntness of this word. And, uh, you know, we're all kind of guilty of, of, I guess, being stupid, right? But I thought about it and said, I wonder, just out of curiosity, if other translations use the same word stupid, because that seems kind of harsh. So I looked them up. Guess what? They all say stupid, 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 stupid. Um, a couple of versions, that's actually on the gentler side. 
A couple of virgins, get this, it says, he who hates correction is a dumb animal. <laughs> All right, so we thought stupid was harsh, but I think that's even harsher, right? But is it harsh? I mean, maybe it's harsh, but it's the truth. Jesus, right, this is God's word. God always tells it like it is. And he's saying, if you hate correction, you are a dumb animal. <laughs> wow, you're stupid, wow. So let's take a look at ourselves. Um, for myself, when I get corrected or someone points out something in my life uh, to be rebuked, how do I react? I think that's something we should ask, right? And really think about it. Or maybe you should ask your family if you're really brave. Ask your family. Um, my family told me this uh, actually this week, and it was not fun. So how do you react? Do you like it? I mean, if you do, God bless you. You're, you're a holy person. I, that's awesome. And I think some people actually are, are like that. That's, that's, that's not me, though. <laughs> do you hate it? If you're like me, right, you're, you're probably like this. Well, you know, hate's kind of a, it's a pretty strong word, right? And um, so maybe when someone rebukes me, I just kind of hate it, right? Well, that's better, right? Now, because now that just makes me kind of stupid, right? I kind of hate it, so I guess I'm just kind of stupid. Or maybe you're like, uh, you're of this, this mindset. No, it's not that I hate being corrected. It's just that when someone corrects me, it's because they don't really know what they're talking about, you know? Um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, things that maybe they don't understand, and, and they don't know what they're talking about, and so what they're saying is kind of an inferior opinion, not worthy to be counted, or considered, and so therefore, you know, I don't really need to listen to that correction. Well, I'm not going to talk directly about it today. It's not the main thing, but there are, I want to say to that mentality, there are a lot of Proverbs about arrogance, okay? So um, you can come back next week for that sermon. Um, I'm just kidding. I don't know what, which one uh, Pastor Susan is going to talk about, but God, he already knew that we'd be thinking along these lines, of, well, you know, I, I don't think that I hate rebuke, and so I'm not stupid, or it's because, you know, the people that rebuke me or correct me, they just don't know. They know less than me, and so they don't really count. And so God, knowing this, in his love for you and for me, he gives us this gem. Verse 15, we can put it up if we can. In the very same chapter, let's read this together. Ready? The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Right? That's the mentality. We think that we're right in our own eyes. Therefore, I don't really need to listen to any other opinion because they're all wrong unless they agree with me. Right in his own eyes. That's what that means. In that verse, God reveals to us that one of the defining characteristics Signs of a fool is someone who is right in his own eyes. We've all done this from time to time. We've been that person who thinks he's always right, and it's the other people whose, whose opinions need to be adjusted, right? And since we're right, we don't need to listen to their advice. We've all done this, right? Let's be honest. You know how I mentioned the uh, that some translations say, he who hates correction. 
is a dumb animal? <laughs> well, in ancient cultures, and even now, uh, the ox was commonly used to plow fields and pull carts. These animals were sometimes, because they're so big and strong, hard to handle. And so when a bull gets stubborn and he stiffens the muscles of his powerful neck, it was very difficult, you know, when you had him yoked, it was very difficult or even impossible to turn this ox. Sometimes the ox would refuse to change its course and then fall into a ditch. Talk about dumb animal, right? Causing injury and sometimes even death, not only to itself, but then to everybody attached, right? The driver, maybe the other oxen. This happens so often, right? It's not just like an like a outlier kind of incident. This happens so often that an expression arose called stiff-necked. And it became part of the everyday language. It's used multiple times in the Bible. Here's what one theologian says about it. Hebrews, you know, the ancient Hebrews, they employed this expression, stiff-necked, to identify persons as defiant and self-willed as oxen. This descriptive term was used both literally and figuratively in Scripture. As a result, it remains alive and well long after use of ox power died in Western societies. The stubbornness of the ox would lead to danger, harm, and sometimes even death. We need to learn not to stiffen our own necks when we are approached with God's yoke. Right? When we have the yoke of God, His wisdom, the yoke of His wisdom on us, we need to learn not to stiffen our necks. Let me give you an example. Um, this, you know, been a pastor for, for many years, and, and this is an observation. It's, it's not even really a hypothesis anymore. It was like years ago, but now it's, a, now it's like it's a principle that happens all the time. It happens without fail. What it is is this. Um, I've had the opportunity to, to like, you know, just be with a lot of um, people as their pastor and speak at different retreats and blah, blah, blah. And one of the things that inevitably happens is There'll be some people who receive the tea and they're just like on fire and they're, they're so excited and, and they're, they're so hungry. And even after like said retreat or a revival meeting or like it's, it was like a, a, a five-week Bible study and they're just really passionate about learning about God and investing everything into their relationship with God and getting to know him more, reading the Bible, praying. And these are just like normal kids and normal people. Right? They're not like super spiritual people that you would like, yeah, that person looks like they would be that kind of. No, it's like everybody. And almost to the T, you give that, that person, oh, I don't know, maybe like two months or so, two months in, three months in, you know what often happens? All of a sudden, they disappear from whatever, Midweek Bible study, disappear from GLF, stop going to, come into Sundays a little more sporadic. I mean, they just start dropping off. And you're like, what happened, right? And almost <laughs> so many times, I can't tell you how many times, I'll kind of dig and I'll ask the person, hey, what's going on? And at first they're very like, you know, they don't want to talk about it. But eventually the truth comes out. They got a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I can't tell you how many times, right? 
a person has been just really growing in the Lord, the season of growth, and then a temptation of, of a boyfriend-girlfriend situation comes into their life, and then all of a sudden they were on the right course, and look what happened. <laughs> Ooh, pretty girl. Ooh, handsome guy. I can't tell you how many times that has happened. And this person that was really growing and deepening in their relationship with the Lord, all of a sudden, all of that energy that they were expending on that, now they're expending all of their energy on their relationship with this person. And a lot of times, this is really weird. I don't know why this is true. I think this is just Satan and his schemes. A lot of times, these boyfriends and girlfriends are not Christians. They're not of the same, they don't have the same values. And so the reason I bring this up is because I or a brother or a sister will come to them and say, hey, can we talk about this? And you know what immediately happens? <laughs> Stiff neck. Nope. I want to keep going this way. I don't want to go this way. This way was good, but this way is even better. Right? And the neck just stiffens. And at that point, you know, all we can do is pray and keep talking to that person, but we need to learn not to stiffen our necks. Satan wants you to stiffen your neck. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to send things, temptation. Maybe it's not a boy or a girl or whatever. Maybe it's something else. But he will constantly send temptations your way to distract you from your course. So if you're doing well in the Lord right now, be aware. Don't just be aware. Expect Satan to send some sort of temptation your way. Because when you expect it, then you can identify it, not be caught by surprise and not stiffen your neck. And you're able to take the course correction. All right? This applies, you know, not only to, you know, that, but it applies to your friendships, your career, your marriage, your family, um, whether you're single or married, right? Um, Your finances, right? We often get into a place where we think, Our way is the right way. This is the way that we want to follow, and we're unwilling, we're stiff-necked and unwilling to change direction. In verse uh, chapter uh, 15, or I'm sorry, chapter 12, verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Let's move on to Proverbs 15. Um, Verse 10 And it says this, There is severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. And then verse 12, A scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. A scoffer does not like to be reproved. Reproved just is like an old fancy word that means corrected. Corrected, that's, that's more like our language. Reproved, whatever. So a scoffer does not like to be corrected he will, not, he will not go to the wise. He will avoid it, actually, because he knows what he's going to hear, and he doesn't want to hear it. It's interesting. We all, you know, when we think about this, uh, this verse here, it says, you, uh, going to the wise. We all have our preferred websites that we go to to get some sort of practical wisdom or something, right? If there's something that you want to learn about or you don't know how to do, then what do you do? A lot of times you just go on your phone to your computers and you go to your preferred website and that is a form of wisdom, isn't it? 
right? You learn something. And so um, I want you to kind of think about, take a step back, and what, what makes one site more preferable to you than another, you know? And for the most part, right, of, you know, aesthetics aside, I mean, that's important, but the most part, it's, it's the nature of the content, your opinion of the content that's really going to make you decide um, if you're going to go to this particular website or go to this influencer, um, you know, whether it be on whatever so social media platform. And um, you then become teachable to that piece of content or to that. And that content is actually, right, um, created by a person. So you're kind of being, and that's why they call it influencers, right, on social media. Um, you are being teachable under um, this person who's providing whatever content that you're consuming. So somewhere, some, somebody is producing all that content, and whatever website or whatever blog or, you know, whatever it is, whether it's on parenting or health or career coaching um, or even, like, you know, our religious life, spiritual life, we are swallowing it hook, line, and sinker. Now, some of that stuff that we are consuming and allowing to guide us is good, okay? It is good. Some of it is not, right? But then when we read the Bible, so we're so teachable to these certain things. When we read the Bible or when someone shares Scripture with us, I wonder if we're as teachable to that. I wonder if we're as receptive to that. I wonder if we run as quickly to God's word to receive it as we do to a specific YouTube channel or Instagram account or Pinterest, you know? Do we run with the same urgency and openness and receptivity? All words for teachability. Are we teachable before God? If you've been in church for any amount of time, you have, either, you have either shared God's word with somebody, some scripture, or somebody has shared scripture with you. That's how it should be, right? And I'm sure you've, uh, when this happens, right, we get all sorts of reactions and responses, and you've probably um, experienced all of these, right? Some, when you share scripture, when you share God's word, some receive it, are very teachable, they receive God's word and they say, wow, that really makes sense. And you can actually see it on their face like, wow, thank you. They're very actually grateful that they heard this piece of scripture, whatever it was. And then they go and live by it. You, know, you find out later that they actually live by it now. Some receive God's word and they say the same thing. Wow, that really makes sense. But then you find out later they didn't really live. Either they forgot it or they were just being polite. <laughs> They're just being nice to you, right? These are like the nice people. Some receive God's word, and they kind of hem and haw, and then they try to create some kind of justification for why God's word doesn't work there. Like, God's word works for my salvation, but in this area of my life, it doesn't work. <laughs> Creating justification, right? And twisting God's words to fit your, what you want it to say, instead of fitting our lives to what God is saying. We got it completely reversed. Sometimes when we hear God's word, we just flat out reject it. I've had many times where I'm just like, I don't want to hear it. 
Most of the time, it's like the forgiveness ones. Love your enemies. Ah, that's a hard one. That's a hard one. It is. I understand. I get it. And when I hear that, sometimes my heart just automatically, I can feel the, the hatch of my heart go, <laughs> no, nope, I don't want to hear it. Reject. So what are some of the reasons, some of the factors of what goes into like whether you're going to receive God's word or not? Um, I'll just, there's a lot, right? But we're just going to go into three and then I'm going to say a little something about um, those three. One, we are maybe not teachable to God's word because we just don't believe it's going to work, right? So, you know, when we, learn, when we want to learn how to do something, we go to Home Depot website or YouTube DIY channels or whatever, right? And uh, that's a formal, but we all know that when it comes to the Bible, right, the author of the Bible is God himself. The provider of the content is God. And I think sometimes it's so, God is so absolute, sometimes it's very easy to take for granted that God is wisdom. We chase wisdom because we want to be smart or because we want to be able to do something, you know, that we couldn't do before. But wisdom is not something. Wisdom is not just knowledge. Wisdom is a person. It's God. God is wisdom. He is a source of wisdom. And so it really doesn't make sense for us when we are confronted with God's word to say that God's word is not going to work. That's, it's, it just doesn't work. We can't say that. Not if we are believers in who God is, in this Yahweh. He created the cosmos. And none of these social media people or famous YouTubers, you know, none of them can claim that. God is the wisest and the one with the most foresight influencer that you're ever going to meet. So you can trust that any corrections that God provides for you through his word is smart, wise, and reliable. Amen? It will bear fruit in your life. He is faithful and he will not break his word. Number two, maybe, you know, we don't find ourselves so teachable to God's word, to his wisdom, to his correction, um, because we don't really just, we, we, we don't um, think that God is trustworthy. So we believe that he's powerful, but we just don't know if, if we have, he has the best interests, my best interests at heart. Um, this is something that I've often struggled with myself. Um, in the area of finance, in the area, again, of forgiving people, God says, this is good, but I go, I don't know. I think this is better, <laughs> right? I don't know if you, if I, can I really trust that you have my best interests at heart? If you did, then wouldn't you make my life look like this, right? Wouldn't you make things easier for me? Wouldn't you give me this blessing and this blessing that I want right now, right here at this moment? So I don't know if I can trust you, God, that you really have my best interests at heart. And this is where I need to wrestle. And one of the things that's like, one of the wrestling points for me that I always try to go back to, and not always successfully, 
but God in his grace gives me this in, in Romans 8. If we don't know that God is trustworthy, we're not sure, what I do is I look at the cross and I remember that nobody has ever loved me like God has. Didn't he give us his son? He didn't even spare his own son. So how will he not also, along with him, graciously give me all the other things that I need? He already gave me his best. He's not holding out. He's not, you know, uh, you know, trying to be like, well, I'll give you these things, but as for my son, I'm going to hold on to him because I really like him and I don't know if you're good enough or if I love you enough to give my son to you. That's not what God said. God said, I love you so much that I will give even my own son to you. Look, if someone is going to give you $1,000 and they already did give you $1,000, then you don't have to doubt if they're going to give you 10 cents the next week. Amen? Right? And isn't that a lot of times what we're squabbling with God with? How do you put a price on what Jesus did? You can't. But then we squabble about the nice house or the nice car or um, the nice shoes or whatever. Compared to what he's already given, those things are nothing. It's chump change. We can trust that he has our best interests at heart. And three, why are we unteachable sometimes? Stiff-necked against God's word and his correction? Pride. It's pretty simple. Just pride. There's a funny story about Muhammad Ali. Do you guys know who Muhammad Ali is? So some of you younger people may not know, but he was like this famous boxer. And this guy was basically like... LeBron James of boxing. He was like the Michael Jordan of boxing. Um, and not only that, he was, not only was he dominant in his sport, but he was good looking and he was articulate and he was charismatic, he was funny. People loved him and so he became maybe the first superstar in, in world history, um, you know, for sports. And so um, Muhammad Ali, this great charismatic dominant guy, you know, um, one day, He's, he's flying somewhere, and he's on a jetliner, and this jetliner is positioning for takeoff. And the flight attendant walked by and noticed that he didn't have his seatbelt on, and, and so she said to him, um, Sir, please fasten your seatbelt. And Ali looked up proudly, and he had this way about him, just very quick. Right? Superman don't need no seatbelt, right? That's what he says. Without hesitation, the attendant says back to him, Well, Superman don't need no plane either, right? The flight attendant corrected Muhammad Ali, right? He corrected him. Why? For his own welfare, right? But he didn't like getting corrected. And so he had to come up with this snappy, you know, well, Superman don't need no belt, right? And uh, he resisted this correction. And as a result, his pride led to a little more embarrassment. You know, not a big piece of embarrassment, but it's just a funny little story that shows like, you know, sometimes it's just better... <laughs> to listen to correction, right? Sometimes being wise doesn't mean that you never make mistakes. Being wise doesn't mean that you're the smartest person in the room. Being wise means that you recognize you make mistakes like everybody else. And if somebody has some good sense to talk to you and even love to talk to you, pay attention, 
right? And don't be smart-alecky about it, right? The Bible tells us that a proud person says to himself, I don't need anyone else's wisdom. I am wise in my own eyes. Think about this. A proud heart is impervious to any correction or teaching. It's not going to be changed by correction or teaching. So the result is this, a heart that's immune to wisdom. Do you want a heart that's immune to wisdom? (laughs) I don't think so, right? There's a lot of things that we want to be immune to these days, right? And I think wisdom is not one of them. We don't want to be characterized by God as, man, he is immune to wisdom. That's really not good. Proverbs 15.10 says this, whoever hates correction will die. Whoever hates correction will die. You know, earlier I mentioned um, how airplanes have these aids that provide them course correction. And, you know, if these airplanes resist the correction, they will lead to danger. So, you know, in addition to all the instruments and aids, uh, every pilot has air traffic control, right? We'll call it ATC. So the primary job of ATC is, I guess this is actually an industry term. I kind of looked on like some websites about this. Aircraft separation, that's their primary job of ATC, air traffic control. So using radars and sophisticated computers, the controllers, they have a big picture of all the airplanes that are on their assigned courses. And then a big part of their job is to spot when there's going to be a potential collision, even when the aircraft are like literally hundreds of miles apart. So when a controller at air traffic control sees that there's a potential collision about to happen, like they can line up the lines and see, they then contact one or both of the the, uh, pilots and they tell them to change course, make a course uh, correction, you know, either by, you know, going higher, lower, or going left, right, whatever. Change course. Correct your course. Make a course correction in your journey, in your path. Now, this actually happens um, a few times every flight, apparently. I didn't know this, right? So it's very routine. We put our hands, our lives in the hands of these air traffic controllers every day without even, without even thinking about it. We, we put our hands and we trust them. We trust the pilots. We trust the pilots. They're not going to be stiff-necked. Can you imagine the pilot who goes, they hear, oh, you're on a collision course and uh, this is what's going to happen. So you need to fly 200 feet, oh, you know, higher than what you are. And the guy's like, nope, I like it here, <laughs> right? I'm staying on this course. But is that the kind of way that we want to live our lives? Obviously not. Obviously not. God gives us divine foresight and wisdom. But sometimes because of our pride or because of our lack of faith, we don't listen to the correction. So much so, right, we we hang on to our pride so much so that 
even if it causes huge amount of destruction and harm and even death. We're okay with that. That's the mystery and the depth of our sin, our rebelliousness, our pride, our stiff-neckedness. So let's look at what God's Word then says, you know, all this other stuff about how we're stupid and dumb animals. Here's some good stuff, all right? 15, I mean, that's all good actually, but um, some stuff that (laughs) is easier to, to hear maybe. Chapter 15 of Proverbs 31, 32. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof or correction, right, will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. When we listen to life-giving correction from God, we will dwell among the wise. We will gain intelligence. That's a promise from God. Can you say amen? Notice in those two verses, uh, especially verse 31, your main part is what? Listen. Your main part is to listen. Listening, people, has to be a conscious decision because there are so many factors. I just listed three, but you guys, we could sit here and talk about so many more, right? So many other factors that try to keep us away from God's correction, that try to keep us resistance against God's teachings and wisdom and correction. There are so many factors that want to keep us away from God's correction, and yet we kind of wonder like, hey, why isn't God saying anything? You know? We go through hard times in life. Why is God saying, why is he so silent? I read this saying um, on a friend's uh, page. Um, How can we complain that God is silent when our Bible is closed? Right? A lot of times we're complaining that God is just not doing anything, but at the same time, we're not really making a conscious effort in our own lives to listen to God. Right? So maybe that's why he seems silent. We want to dwell among the wise We want to gain intelligence. We want to have life-giving reproof, right? This is what life-giving reproof gives us. Um, Here's a little story, and then we'll end. My dad, it says, uh, this this guy, I found this on the internet, some guy um, whose dad was a fighter pilot in the Korean War, and he says that um, my dad was a fighter pilot in the Korean War. He accidentally did something in the cockpit cockpit which affected his oxygen uh, mix, And so without the sufficient oxygen, my dad got lightheaded and he started flying towards North Korea. Okay, that's the enemy, right? And so if you fly towards the enemy airspace, you're going to get shot down. Dangerous. Oxen heading on the wrong course. My dad might well have died or become a POW except for this. The other members of his fighter group flew back to find him. My dad was sufficiently cognitively aware to recognize his comrades and then use them as his navigators back to home base and safety. Here are some things for us to consider if you want to make a conscious decision to listen. You've got to be intentional about it because there are so many factors trying to pull you down. Make an intentional decision to listen. One of those things is this. You need your church. 
make an intentional decision to get connected to your church. You see, sometimes like this jet fighter, right, your judgment can get impaired, right? And sometimes you're not thinking right. Maybe you're uh, your judgment gets impaired because of your emotions. You're going through a tough time. Or maybe confusion. Or maybe some kind of you know, pain, some trauma that you went through in life. And so you're not able to quite see or navigate like, what is God saying in my life, right? Or maybe it's just fatigue. And so you know what God does in his love for you? He sends people into your life to correct you, to give you a course correction, just like this jet fighter. But you have a role too. That jet fighter didn't just like go like this, God, you know. He actually had to follow them. And so that's what we need to do in those cases. Here's another practical exhortation that God has for you. Um, get familiar with the Bible. <laughs> you know, I, earlier I said, how can we complain about a silent God in the midst of our problems if we have closed Bibles? The more you train yourself to become familiar with Scripture, the more you can gain God's wisdom and the more you can hear His corrections so that you can navigate through this crazy world that we're living in right now and enjoy His wisdom and enjoy His grace and enjoy dwelling with the wise and gaining the intelligence of God, not of man. So have a Bible reading plan. Get familiar with your Bible. Get on a plan that's going to help you be more familiar with his word and his wisdom more t tomorrow than today. Just a little bit. All it takes is a little. We're going to end with this, um, and I'm going to ask the praise team to come on up. We started today's uh, message with imagery of journeys and navigating and course corrections. I want you to think about your life right now. Maybe, you know, with all that's going on in the world, maybe with all that's going on in your life right now, you feel like you could just use a break. <laughs> you feel like you could just use a reset. I wish I could just push the reset. I need a pause button. Or maybe you feel like you're in this you know, emergency, crisis, death spiral headed down for a crash landing and you don't know which way is up, you don't know which way is out. And so I want to give you this good news as we do every week here. My fellow sojourner, I have good news. God has good news for you. The answer you need is right here, right here. It's kind of funny, you know, <laughs> I am, I'm a flawed, you know, mistake-prone, imperfect human being. Remember what I said at the beginning? I'm, I'm kind of stupid, <laughs> pretty stupid sometimes. But even someone like me has been given the grace of God, the life of God, the joy of God through Jesus Christ. The wisdom of God. And so let me read this for you. 
Earlier, we, you remember the illustration about the ox? Here's what Jesus says in uh, the book of Matthew. Remember, maybe you're, you're tired, maybe you're going through a very hard time. Here's, what, here's the good news from Jesus Christ. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Can you just receive that? And then he says this, going to the ox illustration. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Listen to me. Learn from me. Loosen your neck. If there's something in your life where you compare to God's wisdom, his great good wisdom, and it's a little off, learn from Jesus, he says. Take my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We're going to take some time to just receive that. And uh, praise him, you can start playing for us. Let me say a prayer for us. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you love us so much that you give us your word. You don't want us on a collision course. Some of us are um, in a death spiral. (laughs) Maybe we're in crisis mode. We thank you that you are the way. You know the way. You freely give us your wisdom. Some of us, we're just tired and we need rest. We're weary. May we have faith once again. Lord, you do not promise us you know, an easy, problem, problem-free life, but what you do promise is perfection. Perfection of our faith, our life in you. So may we take your yoke and as you implore us and exhort us out of your love for us, may we learn from you. May we not, like that ox, have a stiff neck, but instead let our necks be loosened and supple and teachable. May we not be wise in our own eyes, but may we be wise in Jesus Christ. Thank you for your yoke, Jesus, that is easy and light. Thank you for your love that you forgive us. Your grace is not only for our forgiveness, your grace is also for our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.